Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, it's good. it is good to see you guys here. It's good to see you. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in a couple different places. Let me start off with a few big picture things. Next Sunday, this is next Sunday, not today is not next Sunday, but next Sunday, we're going to have tacos. And that's not all we're going to have. And they're going to be good tacos. They're going to be excellent tacos from Kitchen One for One. We're partnering with Kitchen One for One next Sunday. And after the service, after the first service and after the second service, we're going to have tacos that are available. And part of this is our hospitality push. That as a community, we want to build relations with pe- relations, relationships with people who are different than us. Because that's what God did with us. I don't know if you realize you're pretty different than God. And there's no more greater gap than between us and God. And so as a church, we want to learn how to be hospitable, how to connect with people. And so next week, we're going to practice hospitality with people in this room. In this room, we're going to actually have questions we're going to ask each other. It's going to be totally awkward, but it's going to be great. It's going to be good. No, it's going to be good. And uh, so next Sunday, please come. Uh, if you want to stay longer, if you come to the second service, we're going to be able to kind of hang out a little bit more. So maybe I'd encourage you to do that uh, next Sunday. You guys with me on that? Okay. One other thing is, oh yeah, oh yeah, can you put the values up on the screen real quick? So this connects to our five values, and our first value is invitation. And it's the idea that we come as we are, that God met us where we are. And he didn't say, hey, listen, to to meet with me, you got to take about 10 steps forward, and then I'll meet with you. Instead, God entered into the world and, and met us just in the state that we were. And we want to meet our community the same way. So we're going to be talking more about our values. So that's just a little plug up there. Anyways, so grab a Bible. We're going to be in two places today. The first is 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. And then we're going to jump into Timothy 4. So if you want to get those those places, good to see you guys. Uh, Let's jump into it. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the ear, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I may myself be disqualified. And then 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while the bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you. Would you pray for me? Father, I thank you that you are with us. You love when your kids gather together. You love to see us together. And when we come to you, Father, I know uh, it brings you joy. And so help us to be present this morning. Help us to open our ears to hear, our eyes to see. Would you move in our hearts? And if there are 
Even this morning, things we're carrying. Right now, we, we hear this other voice of condemnation. In Jesus' name, would it be set free? Would we release the troubles, the trials, the difficulties, and know that we're in a place with the Father, with our brothers and sisters, and the Holy Spirit is here, and his desire is to change us, and heal us, and strengthen us. So, Father, we, we invite you in this space as we recognize that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this new series, Formed, and the basic idea is we're always being formed. When you just pick up your feet and kind of go with the culture of the day, you're being formed. Whether you're worshiping God or not worshiping God, we're all worshiping something because we're created to worship. And so something's going to capture your attention. Something's going to become the law in your life that's going to govern the decisions you make. And that's going to form us into the likeness of God or away from the likeness of God. And today we're going to look at this idea of how does change actually happen? How do we partner with God in the process of change? Because change is frustrating. It's really frustrating when somebody else puts it on you. I don't like that kind of change. But the change that God's inviting us into is one where he's partnering with us. And I want to start with a couple myths about the life that God's calling us to. And the first myth is that spiritual formation is not just for the elite. There's this idea in the Christian life that you can pray this prayer and vaguely believe in Jesus, but you don't actually have to follow him. But what the New Testament describes is a life that believes in Jesus and then actually begins to follow Jesus. It's a life of discipleship. And so this is not for the elite. Jesus called Pharisees. He called tax collectors. He called prostitutes. He called religious leaders. Spiritual formation and discipleship is is the Christian life. It's the Christian life. And the second idea is that spiritual formation change doesn't happen naturally. Just like time does not heal all wounds. It just causes you to forget the wounds are there until they come back up. And likewise, with spiritual formation, you can be in the church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and actually get worse instead of getting better. You can become more self-righteous, more bitter, more judgmental by being in the church over time. If you're not actually following Jesus, you're going to get formed into something. C.S. Lewis captured this well in his reflections on the Psalms, and he said this, and I quote, Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. It's not going to just happen. And so third, spiritual formation or change doesn't happen by trying, trying, trying really hard. Instead, what we're going to walk into is it happens through training. We saw this in both the passages that we looked at. It doesn't happen just by pushing in and trying to, in in 2024, you know, I'm going to begin a new process. And we all do that. I imagine this year, some of you said, I'm going to read the Bible for the first time, or maybe I'm going to get into it. I'm going to read through the Bible, and and that's great, and it's good. But then you start, and you start getting down the road, and maybe you're a week out or 10 days out, and things are going good. And then you just fail miserably, right? Am I the only one? And you fall on your face. And then this shame and this guilt and this judgment comes in and you say, okay, tomorrow I'll do it again, but I'm not going to fail this time, right? I'm not going to fail this time. Don't fail this time. Don't, don't do it. And then you get another 10 days and what happens? You fail. And you get into this process of going through and eventually you just kind of give up because it's not working. Either I'm not doing it right or God's not doing it right. Something's not right with a Christian life because what you're doing is you're trying really hard, but you don't have a mindset of training. Because training includes a lot of failure. 
I mean, I watch my kids in sports. I watch the energy that they put in. Then I see the output, and I realize that when you're in a sport, you're in an activity, you're gonna lose at times. There's gonna be times where you fail, you fall on your face, but those kids don't give up because they know they're in a process of training, and they have a vision for the future and what life's gonna be like when I get there, but right now, it's about getting up, it's having a vision for life and training. And that's the Christian life, and that's what Paul's describing. And so if you're in that pattern and you have been in that pattern where you felt frustrated or discouraged, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and Timothy 4 is incredibly helpful. So let's turn back there, kind of discover what this process of change actually looks like. So watch this in, in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. Here's what he says. Don't you know that all in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? And so run that you may obtain it. Now, Paul's in Corinth. Corinth is in Greece. And what is Greece known for? It's coming up in France, Paris, this year, the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games actually took place in Olympia, and that's why they called the Olympic Games. And they were every four years. So Greek culture understood the idea of training and competition, but Paul's in Corinth. And the church he's writing to is in Corinth. And in Corinth was the Ithmus Games. Every two years, people would get together and they would compete. And Paul's using this very common metaphor that they would absolutely understand and saying the way that we grow in the Christian faith, not by trying harder, but rather having a vision for life and having a process of training that gets us towards that vision. And that process of training includes failure, frustration, hardships, Difficulty, anyone trained for something in this room? You get a master's degree? Anyone got a master's degree here? Anybody? Or a PhD? Some of you, just some smart people in this room. Is that easy? You know, just hand those things out, don't they? First day you get there, you get the little degree and they send you off on your way. And there's a lot of failure. It's like, oh my gosh, I have a test tomorrow and you're up all night long and you're up all night long and you got an F on the test and it was horrible or maybe it went well. It is struggle, it is fight, but you have a vision for what it's gonna look like. And when you fail, you don't go, well, that's it. I I guess I'm done, I guess I'm gonna give up on this. Instead, you get back up because you know it's taking you to a destination. Paul's saying that's the spiritual life. It's not about trying to read the Bible, it's about meeting with God. It's not about being in a perfect community where everything is right and everybody loves me and nobody ever hurts me, it's not gonna happen because you need to be around imperfect people to press into Christ. It's a process. And just as every runner runs and his goal is to win, every one of us, the goal is to be perfected. The goal is is to work. Now, how does that work? Verse 25, notice he says every athlete exercises, and we hate this word, I do, self-control in all things. Now, can you guys go to that comparison slide? I want you to see how the NIV translates this, because remember, the New Testament is in Greek, and these words, they're trying to, to unpack the meaning of them. The ESV says everybody exercises self-control, but the NIV says everyone goes into strict training. Now, what is self-control? I want you to understand, self-control is willpower, but it's much more than willpower. Willpower is finite. You only have so much, and if you use your willpower in the morning, it's gonna be gone for the rest of the day, unless you have a vision. 
Willpower will get you started. It may get you over a challenge, but willpower is finite. You don't have an unending flow of willpower. What you have is you have a heart. You have desires. And self-control is about a well-ordered heart. It's a heart that doesn't, doesn't get caught up in the urgent, but uses willpower to some degree along with the heart to put first things first, second things second, and third things third. Self-control is about a well-ordered heart. How do you get a well-ordered heart? You have to go into training. Because desires don't always lead to behaviors. Behaviors don't always lead to desires. The two work together. And sometimes if this is a path I need to go on, when, when you first start swimming, you hate it, Right? Everyone tells me, I need to start swimming. I don't want to swim because I know what the, that first two weeks or months are going to be like. It's going to be terrible. You first get on that bike and, and your butt, right? It just, it hurts. I, can, I don't want to ride a bike. You start running and, and that next day you're just, you're, every bone in your body is absolutely hurting. Why? It's difficult. But what keeps you going? I've got a vision. I've got self-control. And that self-control is ordering my life in a way that produces the vision, produces the result. So let's jump over to 1 Timothy 4. Paul's talking to Timothy, and we're going to see the same language being expressed. And he says, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Instead, train yourself. There's that word. In this case, not to train yourself for a race, but train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy, and it's deserving full attention. When somebody says, hey, this is trustworthy and full attention, he's saying, let's read it again. Do you mind if we read it again? And I want you to think about what he's saying and start filling the blanks in in your own life. Because he starts off and he says, have nothing to do with blank." What is it you need to have nothing to do with because it's ruining your training schedule? I mean, I love me some McDonald's. I can admit that. I mean, a billion people eat there, but nobody admits it, right? I love it. But I know I have to have nothing to do with this. I feel horrible after I eat it. I mean, you feel terrible. But if I'm going to train, I know I need to have nothing to do with it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to McDonald's sometimes. It, it means that I recognize there are things that are going to trip me up. When you fill in the blank, have nothing to do with. What's shaping your attitude? What's shaping your behaviors? When you wake up, what's the fear? What's the anxiety? You need to put it in there. And, and that doesn't mean you ignore it. You need to identify it, recognize it, and understand the impact it's having in your life. And then what you need to do is repent. When he says, have nothing to do with but train, that's called repentance. It just means turn. Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of God is here. Stop worshiping the things that you're chasing after. Start looking to me. And so instead of putting those things in your life, what do you need to let go of so that you can turn and then begin a process of training for godliness? And I know that doesn't sound like a great word, godliness. Do I want to be godly? I think so. What it's really saying is to become like Christ. Godliness is becoming more and more like Christ, which means it's becoming more and more alive. Alive to who you are in God and alive to who you are with others. Train. Dallas Willard, there's a few resources I'm going to share with you in a moment, but Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, and he contrasts that idea between training and trying. 
And I found this so helpful. Listen to what he says. He says, no one ever says, I want to be a great athlete, so just go vault 18 feet. I mean, run the mile under four minutes. Or if you want to be a great musician, play Beethoven's violin concerto. Instead, we advise the young artist or the young athlete to enter, and hear this, to enter a certain kind of life. One involving deep associations with qualified people, as well as rigorous scheduling, diet, activity for the mind and body. He's saying, to be a great musician, to be great at anything, you have to enter a kind of life. What's Jesus inviting us into? A kind of life. The goal of the Christian life is not a destination. The goal of a Christian life is a life with God today. And that life with God today is one that requires training and practice. It's one that requires vision. I mean, think of for a moment somebody you admire. Someone that's accomplished something and you think to yourself, man, I would love to accomplish that. I have a number of friends. Most of the, the things I admire are athletic accomplishments. I have a friend in his 40s who runs a marathon in two hours and 30 minutes. And if you're not impressed by that, you, you've never run a marathon. The winning time is around 210 to 205. This is not his full-time job. He just does this on the side at four in the morning before he goes to work. I am absolutely just overwhelmed by that. A guy in his 40s can do that. Got another friend that lives in the area and he runs through the mountains for 50 miles, sometimes 100 miles, and there's even races that go 200 miles. And when you go that long, it's not one, it's like, for at least 100 miles, it's like more than a day. And you're traveling over 20,000 feet of elevation change. And I look at that in my mind, sometimes I go, man, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, do you ever get that way? You see, no, some of you are like, no, no, because yeah, you're smart, you get it. But I see that and think, yeah, I could do that. But there's this little thing called Strava. You familiar with Strava? I, I know, I'm, uh, some of you guys are on it. And on Strava, my friends that do this kind of athletic output also record what they do every single day to get to the place so that they can run 100 miles. And when I see what they do every single day, I said, yeah, I can't do that. Because I, I love the pictures at the end of the race. I, I love to see the outcomes. But when I look every single day at how early they're getting up, how far they're running, what they're eating, I think, yeah, I'm happy with my three miles. That's training. And what Paul's doing is he's opening his life to us. And he's saying, just as, as athletes are in training, we have to be in training. How interesting would it be if there was a Strava for spiritual growth? And you had the, yeah, I know, it's kind of, could be sad too, right? But imagine if you could see Jesus' Strava. You could see the time he spent in, in prayer the time he spent in community, Paul's Strava, what they invested into to show up in the world the way they showed up in the world. It'd either be like overwhelming probably, maybe a little discouraging, but see what Paul's saying to Timothy is I don't want you to run my race. Timothy, I want you to run your race. My race is gonna look different than your race because I have a different calling, I've got different skills, I've got different gifts, but what does it look like for you to run with Jesus? What do you need in your life so that the outcome is I'm becoming more like Christ and I'm much more aware of the stuff in my life that's influencing me and it's, it's causing me to go in a direction that I don't want to go? What does it look like 
What does it look like for you? I just lost my place. Oh, yeah, here we go. How does that process take place? I want to share three things with you. And this comes out of a book, if you guys can put those two books up there, called The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is an excellent uh, teacher on spiritual formation. And then if you've ever seen the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg was a disciple of Dallas Willard. And so if you like simplified language, I think The Life You've Always Wanted is really, really good. But in The Spirit of the Disciplines, um, Dallas talks about the process of change. And here's, here's how he describes it. There are three things. It takes vision, intention, and means. And the order is going to matter. It takes vision... And then second, intention and means. When you read the New Testament, what you're getting at times is vision. Paul will say the love of Christ compels me. That what's driving me is God's love. Not that I'm going to show up in a city and everyone's going to applaud me and it's going to be great and we're going to start a new church. That's results. Results will kill you if they're the goal. If you put results in front of you, I gotta be like Jesus, I gotta be patient tomorrow. You need a vision for what's ahead of you. And Paul says, my vision is that God's love is driving me. There's other places where he says, hey, get your eyes up from things below and set your mind on things above where your life is hidden with Christ and God. He says, take your mind off what's going on here and set your mind on who God is. And most of the New Testament is built on answering one question, who is God? And you'll notice this in a lot of Paul's letters. There'll be these long sections in the beginning where he's essentially just describing who God is for us. And what he's doing is he's unpacking a vision, just like every company does. I mean, what makes Apple successful is they have a compelling vision. And there's a lot of people that have studied Apple and their corporation and the compelling vision that drove their products. Well, that's what the New Testament is doing as well. Paul will describe a vision of the character and the person of God. So before you get to the stuff on marriage and parenting and money and sexuality, you need a vision that's going to be able to move you through difficult times. And again, we see this all throughout. If you go to Ephesians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Be holy and blameless in his sight and love. He predestined us to be adopted as a son through Jesus Christ. What is that? Vision. It's 14 verses of vision of what God's done for you. Peter does the same thing. He starts with the same language. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. We can keep going. What is it? He said, look at what God's done for you. Before you look at the failure, before you look at the mountain, before you look at the hundred miles, look at God. Be captivated by who he is. Allow his love for you to overwhelm you. Allow his glory and his goodness and his holiness and his majesty to penetrate your heart. You've got to start with a vision. And in the Christian life, the vision is the vision is God. And when you start reading the New Testament, Jesus will say things like the kingdom of God is like. And when he says that, what he's describing is what God is like. And he'll tell us stories, right? God's like a shepherd. 
And he has 99, so you think he'd be content, but when the one wanders, what does he do? Hey, it's, it's okay. I don't really care for that sheep anyways. He chases after. And when he finds that sheep, he celebrates, and he gets people together. And what is he talking? He's talking about me. Hey, when you're in addiction, when you're in pornography, when you're lost, when you feel like a failure, God is chasing after you. He's not saying, you know what? You've gone too far. No, his heart is for you. He's like a father. And when his son or his daughter wanders, what does that father do? When your kid's in trouble, do you have less attention on them or more attention? Right, less, right? Because I don't care about that kid. I mean, he's made, he's made his own way. He's made his own mistakes. I'm gonna kind of pull back and I, I'm sure I'm gonna sleep really, really well tonight. Knowing that my kid's in rebellion, he's, no. Your heart is constantly going, I wonder what's going on. And listen, we often don't know what to say, so we ask people, hey, how do you deal with a situation like this? When your kid is walking away from you, you push into him. That's our God. And our God is the God that blesses the poor in spirit, not the accomplished or the gifted. He blesses the meek. I can be meek. (laughs) He blesses the humble. He blesses the pure in heart. He blesses those that recognize this is the character of the God that we worship and every single page is trying to show you who God is. And then he puts people around you to share that truth together. We have to have a vision before we can get into the execution. Because the second aspect is intention. And intention means execution or decision. That once we have a vision for what God wants for us, we have to begin walking the life that God's called us to live. But again, here's what happens. And I find this so true about my own life. When you start living the Christian life, the benefits of following God eventually become the goal and you replace them. You replace God with the outcomes. So instead of pursuing God, you start pursuing the outcomes of the Christian life. I don't know if that makes sense to you. That you start following God and your life starts to change, right? Things start to get better. You start to actually have an experience of God And I've explained this to a lot of people. When you first come to faith, you're like a little baby. You're like a child, right? You're an infant. A father and a mother, they they are really close to an infant. They draw in. You make one noise, they move in. But as you grow up into adolescence and into childhood, what does the parent do? Wants you to grow up. Wants you to learn some skills. The parent steps back. What does God do? You first come to faith, God is right there. I mean, you make a noise and God is on top of it. But as you grow up, right, have you experienced this? God starts to distance himself, not in the sense that he doesn't love you and wants to be with you, but he's saying, I want you to start owning this. I need you to start walking with me. And if I'm always there, no matter what's going on, you're not gonna learn the discipline of growing and walking with me. And so God's presence pulls back, but what do we do? I gotta have the experience. And so sometimes we go from church to church to church because we had this powerful religious experience, right? Remember that guy? Preached amazing, the community was amazing. And some of you have had churches like that. Great church experience, right? Community, you love that place. And what are you trying to do today? You're trying to recreate it. Because you want the outcome of following God instead of just simply following God where you are today and allowing him to lead you and direct you. And eventually the outcome becomes the goal. And then you get really frustrated because you're trying to produce something you can't produce. Let me explain what that looks like. Every pastor goes through this, certainly ministry leaders. I think all of us do. But when I first began in ministry in 1995, we planted a church. Really challenging way to start in ministry, but we planted a church. There was a group of guys, got together. We were all 19, so certainly we knew what we were doing. It was great. And we planted a church. 
And, and these guys, I had relationships with them, and they wanted me to be a part of it because most of my ministry was actually inner city type ministry. And I was a part of this group called Mission Waco. And I did all this inner city work, and they said, hey, we want you to come and do that with us. As we grow this ministry in this church, there's going to be kids and college students that need to get plugged into a, a place of serving. I said, okay, let's do it. And so that first year, when we started the church, we went to this park, there's three of us, and we just started praying. God, would you give us a vision for how we can reach this community? And then kids started to show up. After school, we'd go to this park, we'd pray, kids started to show up, and then we'd start talking to the kids. And we maybe had five or six to begin with. We had no candy, food, anything. We just hung out with the kids. Then we said, hey, we need to probably give them something to eat. We need to have a plan for this. And so we started putting structure to it, and then it started going to 50, 60, 70. That first year, it was amazing. That first Christmas, all the college students bought gifts, and we had this huge Jesus birthday party. It was fun. I think the kids were probably more excited because they got gifts, but it was Jesus' birthday party. And it was a fantastic just experience. And I was elated. This is my first experience of leading a ministry. I'm like, this is how it works. This is just how life goes. And then we had this awesome VBS program in the summertime. And then the next year began. And I had this grand vision of we're going to double this things. We're going to start another one. We're going to have like all of these little places all around town where kids are getting together and college students, then they're going to want to be a part of this. And what happened? You guys know what happened. You start pushing for the results. You stop following God. You stop listening to God. And then you get absolutely discouraged. It's not working. Because my eyes start focusing on the outcome instead of walking with God today and listening to him because maybe he's doing something new. And maybe it doesn't look like 150 kids in a park. Maybe it looks like 10. Because maybe God's doing something in the lives of those kids and that's where he wants you today. But only the vision of God can compel you into the mission of God. Because it's not easy. And when we push into the outcomes and we say, I gotta have the outcome first, what we're saying is I don't want you first. And what Paul is saying is the life of training is the life of vision with God and then the decision to follow him and then the next thing is the means. We need the resources to follow him. And that's where scripture comes in and reading the Bible and being in community and starting to understand words like theology. Do I understand what I believe? Do I need to study the aspect and the character of God? What is salvation? What is this book of the Bible about? What is community? And we have all of these resources that when the vision is right and the heart and the decision is right, all of those resources begin to influence us and take us down a path in which we become more and more like Christ. What does that look like? It takes vision, a decision that's not a one-time decision, but each day. And then we need the resources and the people around us to say, hey, listen, you're in training, I'm in training. And you may blow it tomorrow, and I'll blow it on Tuesday. But we can encourage each other towards the vision of what God is calling us to. So let me end with just a few encouragements as we look at this together. And I wanna read Paul's words first in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, before we jump into that. And here's what Paul says. He says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, meaning the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Paul's describing, again, a vision. 
The vision is God, and change happens again from one degree of glory to another. So here's the first reality. Deep training, deep training is going to anticipate resistance. Anything that's worth pursuing is going to be difficult. And the Christian life is going to have moments of deep resistance. Listen to the story of any mature Christian. If you come across somebody that you admire, you admire their faith, you're going to find out that their heart was expanded in very ordinary moments of life. They made decisions in the mundane, routine moments of life to choose to be faithful. It wasn't these big, exciting moments. It wasn't these, these great worship gatherings. It was everyday moments of life where they made a decision to push in and to follow Christ and to get into Scripture. I don't want to go to church today. It's negative 10 degrees. I'm going to go anyways. You guys did it, so see, you're being formed. That's what's happening. And then there's going to be days where you're praying and you feel like absolutely no one is listening. Why in the world am I praying? Have you had that? And it feels like your prayers are just kind of hitting the ceiling. But what do you do? You keep praying. That's formation. You're being changed. You're reading the Bible. I have no idea what in the world. You need to go to Jim's class. I have no idea what I'm reading. But what do you do? You keep pressing in because God is forming you through Scripture, through prayer. You know what he's doing? He's meeting with you. It's not about the result. If it's about the result and my life has to change in a specific way, it's gonna get frustrating. But if it's about meeting with God and being with God, he says, listen, I wanna meet you through my word. Can there be another way? Through Leviticus, I gotta read that and get to know, yes, I want you to be here. I want you to sit in this. I want you to be present with me. And as you do, though you may not understand what you're reading at times, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm changing you. That's how transformation takes place. There's no, no quick way to it. And we all know that. If you ever tried to eat healthy, you know how hard it is to take sugar out of your diet. Anybody ever try to take sugar out of your diet for more than like a day? It's death. Don't do it. it it's not worth it. I mean, people stop drinking coffee, and I don't understand why you'd want to do that. You try to take ca- caffeine out of your life, maybe it's going to make you feel better take sugar out of your life. Maybe it's going to make you feel better someday. I don't know what day that is. I've never made it. (laughs) But what happens is as soon as you take that out, what's going to happen? Your desires that have been trained for sugar at McDonald's or whatever it is you like to eat, they've been trained. And when you take out, remember what Paul says, you know, you got to set some things aside and go into training. You're going to, your whole body's going to say, this is not worth it. And if that's where you are, it's worth it. Training is hard and it faces resistance. But if you don't have a vision and someone around you that's compelling you to go towards that vision, those hard moments are gonna trip you up. So that's the first thing we gotta see. Spiritual formation, it anticipates resistance. But here's what you need in resistance. The second thing is that deep training demands community. It demands community. This evangelical idea, it's me and my personal Jesus all by myself in my quiet time, that's a good place to start, but that's not enough. There is somebody who wants to isolate you, and it's not Jesus. People who get isolated in the Christian life are going to stall out. If you think, I can't tell people what I'm struggling with, that's not from God. That is a tactic of the enemy to keep you in fear and bondage and shame and guilt. God says, confess your sin to each other. Wait a minute, God. How am I gonna know they're gonna be okay? Make sure you're around people who are okay. 
Healthy people can be healthy people with you. If you see healthy people, those are the kind of people you need to confess your life to. We have to have community. This isn't your project, guys. It's our project. This is not something you're gonna go off and do by yourself. You know, Here's the lab, go off and accomplish this. No, it's what we're doing together. It's what, why we gather as a church. And it requires us being in community together. The biggest moments of change in my life were that moment when I said it and I confessed sin to somebody. And I thought I was gonna get crushed. You know, my body's shaken. Have you ever had that moment? You confess something, you're like, nobody knows. I've and then you confess it. And what, what, did you, what did you experience? I mean, I hope you didn't have a bad experience, but forgiveness and love. And sometimes you get that, that you know, I get it. I've been there. Yeah, me too. Now, maybe not in the same way, but I understand weakness and I understand struggle. Hey, we can walk through this together. It requires deep community. And also understand deep training also has seasons in life. It's okay. There's seasons. If you're trying to get a master's degree, invite God into that. If you're trying to build a business, invite God into that. If you're raising kids, you're telling me a quiet time brings change, but raising kids doesn't. God's using that. And don't hold up an ideal picture. I have to, it has to look like this. There are seasons in life, and what God wants to do is he wants to be brought into your life where you are today. He wants to walk with you. And so have some patterns in your life. When I walk into the bathroom, I pray the Lord's Prayer. I admitted it. It's okay. When you get into the car, pray Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Have trigger moments throughout your day that cause you to invite God into your day. Recognizing he's with me, but he wants me to be aware that he's with me. He wants me to hear his voice. There's seasons in life, but we have to invite God to walk with us. And then fourth, and I think this is so important, deep training necessitates healing. Deep training, spiritual formation necessitates healing because sin is an addiction. And you don't overcome an addiction by yourself. And all of us grew up in communities and homes with people that were imperfect. And maybe they loved us, but there were things we didn't get. And that's okay. But if we can't recognize the things that we need in our life, that we're performing to try to hide, that we're pretending, hey, I want everyone to think I'm a good Christian, what's going to happen is you're going to isolate yourself. You're gonna be afraid to be honest about what's really going on. And God wants to meet you in that place of vulnerability, pain, the stuff that we're trying to hide. He wants to be present with you and he wants to bring somebody else into that story alongside you. And you see Jesus do this. He's the master at this. He's talking to a woman at the well, right? And he starts off, it's great. Hey, I've got water that'll never run dry. Cool, That's, that sounds neat. I'd like to have some of that, Jesus. Okay, well, why don't you go get your husband? Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, have you ever asked the question? It's like you're having this great spiritual conversation, Jesus, don't say that. Why would you, you she's had five. And now she's got like this sex for rent thing that's going on right now. Why would you address that? Because he needs to meet her in her place of deepest pain. What's the one thing she doesn't want to be seen in? I don't want you to see I've had five husbands. And I'm afraid to be alone. And even if he abuses me, I'm going to run to him because I don't think I'm lovable. 
and I don't think I'm worthy. And only when Jesus can see that place in your own life and meet you there, change really starts to happen. It's hard, isn't it? But we have to have a place where you can be honest and simply name the truth of where you are. God already knows the truth of where you are. Remember what he said to Adam? Where are you? I know you're behind the bush. It's like your kids, right? I see you. You're under the covers. Okay, it's not, you're not hiding. I want to know where are you? What are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? Why, why do you feel like you need to cover yourself? Why do you feel like you need to lie? It's when God meets us in that deepest place with grace and brings people around us that change and honesty really begins to take place. We need community, we need healing, but here's the thing, the final thing, is that deep training, spiritual formation, it has to be fueled by love. And listen, love for yourself as well. Because some of you right now may be hearing this and saying, yeah, I'm way behind. That's just the truth of where you are, it's okay. God can only move you from the place where you are unless you're honest with where you are. And he doesn't look at you and say, you should be down the road. He looks at you and says, I want to meet you in the spot that you are today. And I'm excited about the fact that you're moving towards me. That's God's attitude towards us. When we turn to him in humility and we say, man, I messed it up. I've got this addiction, I'm in my 50s, it's still there, be honest about it. When you're honest about the truth of where you are, because the one thing is, I don't know what it's like to be you. You're the only one that can tell us that. But the people in this room, they can tell you what it's like to be with you. And often that's where God needs to meet us. That we need other people in our life that can say, hey, this is what I see that's going on. And as I move towards you, I'm not moving towards you in judgment. And if you sense that, pull away from that person. I want to move towards you in love because that's how the Father pursues us. When we turn to him, he is quick to respond. So it doesn't matter where you are this morning. Would you, would you begin to walk in that direction? To move in a direction where you see the vision, you start to take decisions each day, and you have the resources, and we're here to help. That's why we gather as a church. That's why the people around you are here is to walk with Jesus together. That's the vision that God has for us.